Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. In the FX market, the dollar weaker pretty much across the board in G10, even against the pound, just a little bit. Sterling on the front foot by a tenth of 1% at 133.50 as inflation in the UK comes in higher than expected, north of 3%, which means that Governor Carney has to write a letter to the Chancellor about why he's missing his inflation target by so much. Howard Ward joins us in the studio in New York of Gabelli Funds, the CIO of Growth Equities. Can you imagine that, Howard, that you missed your target and you've got to write a letter to your boss that is um, disclosed publicly as to why you haven't met it? Yeah, I'm sure that's uh, not a lot of fun, but I, I, I think it's a bit of a wake-up call regarding the universal complacency regarding inflation uh, amongst the central bankers, yeah. uh, that inflation can uh, come upon us sooner than expected. And uh, and then what? Because it's, it's in nobody's expectations here in the U.S. that we're going to have an inflation problem anytime soon. Lots of headlines about how inflation is still missing in action, but it can resurface uh, unexpectedly. So there are some really specific issues in the UK, Brexit-driven issues, a real collapse in sterling after the Brexit vote. Here in the United States, we sit down and prepare for the two-day meeting of the FOMC, which concludes tomorrow. Most economists expect a rate hike. Everyone expects it to be Yellen's last press, so we go into next year, and there's just this unbelievable comfort, Howard, with how this is going to play out <laughs> over the next couple of years. It's Yellen 2.0, and things are going to remain as they are for a while. Do you believe that? Yeah, well, uh, actually, let me just go back for a minute and try to connect some dots here because of the because of the lag in monetary policy and in the lag impact that low rates have on economic growth. You can uh, connect the surge that we've had in global economic growth in recent months to the Brexit period of June of 16, when we had record low interest rates. That's when the 10-year hit 1.3%. And uh, that, and so because of the lag, we've had a surge. Well, now that lag is, is ending, and we're going to be going into a period where we, we, we haven't benefited from the ultra-low rate period that we had then. Now, rates are still very low. In fact, I still think there's 11 countries in the world with negative sovereign yields. So, you know, that is still a bit of an artificial yeah. situation. But I do think we are, we are at a point where growth is not, it's not accelerating. It's actually beginning to slow. And it's going to begin to slow in Europe as, as the months unwind uh, immediately ahead. Now, that's going to be interesting because we approach the side of the equity market where a lot of people are saying, this is late cycle stuff now, position for the late cycle themes. Bank of America said to me just yesterday, position for euphoria. Is it time to position for euphoria? Well, I think it's time to be prepared for uh, turbulence because we've had far too long a period has passed without having any real turbulence in the equity market. And so I think that uh, are things euphoric? No. Uh, well, the Bitcoin being a, a side, uh, you know, something different. But as far as the stock market concerns, we don't have euphoria, but we have had a 371% total return on the S&P 500 yeah. since March of 2009. And folks, it doesn't get much better than that. Can we just say, Tom Keen, that Bitcoin was brought up by Howard Ward and, and not me? 
I didn't mention it. Yeah, well, he did that this morning on television. Did too. he just it's just randomly Rex brings and, up Bitcoin? Yeah, we, not <laughs> I like to talk about my mistakes because I haven't gotten Bitcoin <laughs> yeah. right. But let me just say this with respect to how Bitcoin's price behavior in the last couple of weeks. I don't care what you're talking about. Yeah. When anything rises, the way Bitcoin has risen in the last few weeks, to me, that is a definition of a mania. And it yeah. smacks of greater greater fool theory. I don't think most of the people that are buying Bitcoin actually have any idea of what they're buying. Now we will we will see, and we'll do some more on this uh, as well uh, today. Good morning, everyone. John Farrow and Tom Keen in New York, uh, a day before a Fed meeting. I guess it's a two day meeting, but uh, we'll do a lot of Fed coverage tomorrow as well. Bloomberg surveillance this morning with futures up one. Brought to you by Invesco. Invesco dedicated to delivering an investment experience that can help you get more out of life. Learn more at Invesco.com slash more out of life. I-N-V-E-S-C-O. Invesco.com slash more out of life. When do Fed rate increases, Howard Ward, click in and begin to impinge in a normal traditional way that we have forgotten ages ago well tom um i think that uh we're at a point where ordinarily you would start to see some impact very shortly um the reason that it really hasn't happened is that we've had no uh increase in longer yields during the last two years while the fed has been tightening and that i think is largely because of the lack of yields abroad in Europe and, and Japan has created tremendous demand for treasuries. You're getting about uh, 29 basis points on a five-year German uh, bond. You're getting uh, really nothing on a uh, uh, five, ten, ten-year Japanese bond. So the U.S. looks like uh, Mount Rushmore uh, in terms of yields uh, right now. So so you've had a flat end of the, of the yield curve, and as the Fed continues to tighten, I don't think that yield curve is going to steepen. I think it's going to remain flat. It's going to get even flatter. And so I think the the, the P-E ratios can sustain themselves uh, as long as that's the case. It's time to get out of growth and get into value. That's you, really the heart. John, you've nailed it. Do you know how many times I hear that, that Howard, that over the last the few weeks? Guy, all my yeah. radar's up because of that yeah, statement. That, that's yeah. it. Is it time to get out of growth and get into value? So, you know, full confession, you know, I am a, I'm on the growth side of the ledger. That's why I ask. Yes. So growth has outperformed value every month this year, except for June and September. September was a violent rotation in the direction of value and smaller caps. But I would say this. Historically, we know that growth typically outperforms value during periods of, of moderate to slowing economic growth. So as we look at 2018, you can go on the Bloomberg Economic Survey, and you will see that the consensus for economic growth next year is slower growth, not faster growth. So if we're going to have slower growth next year, and the yield curve is flat and getting flatter as the Fed tightens, right. I don't think I'd be wanting to rush into value stocks. So talk to me about what this means at a sector level, because the sector level story that goes with that get out of growth and get into value story is get out of tech and get into financials. What do you say back to that? So uh, there's a wide variety of stocks that fall under the heading of financials, and some of them are, are not your traditional banks or insurance companies. So let me just talk about the more traditional financials for the banks. Um, flat yield curve is not good for them. Uh, loan demand is falling. 
That's strange. Again, it speaks to the lack of acceleration in economic growth to see commercial industrial loan growth slowing, not uh, not increasing. And so the banks are going to have a more difficult time uh, making profits on loans and loan demand is falling. Will they benefit from higher rates at the short end? Yes, they will uh, on their deposit base. But Nevertheless, uh, you know, the banks have had a bit of a run. I don't think it's uh, going to be anything uh, surprisingly good for them uh, in the near future. Howard Ward, thank you so much with GAMCO. Greatly appreciate the briefing this morning. And of course, uh, John, I, I guess really this week we're at the time, John, where every conversation is a next year conversation. It has a year-end feel. And what's yeah. interesting about that, Tom, is that the year really hasn't finished. And I don't mean just by the day. I, I, I mean by my events. Christmas shopping. We, Does that count? We've got a Fed hike coming up. We're still waiting for the tax bill to go through, and you need to get your Christmas well, shopping done. You know, to that point, and we really haven't discussed it yet this morning, you really wonder where is the tax bill? Late last night, I saw one legit analysis that that suggested that uh, they've only got four to $500 billion of the $1.5 trillion covered. They've got to work it out, which which I delta. think is why huge we've delta. we've kind of got this move away from twenty and talk of twenty two yeah. on a corporate rate, Tom, which might open up yeah. things a little bit. And we've got an Alabama special election. Our Kevin Cirilli uh, in Alabama with some terrific perspective, really turnout focused. I know Michael Barr will be touching on that in New York and with our news around uh, the nation and world as well. Futures up one, Jeff futures up thirty. This is Bloomberg. And now with the news in New York City and sadness in San Francisco, here's Michael Barr. Tom, Jonathan, thank you very much. And as you mentioned, out of San Francisco this morning, news Mayor Ed Lee has suddenly died. Lee was the first Asian-American mayor of San Francisco. Lee was 65. It is Election Day in Alabama. In a highly watched Senate race, voters will choose between Republican Roy Moore and Democrat Doug Jones. Multiple women have accused Moore of sexual misconduct when they were in their teens and he was in his 30s. Moore, now 70, denies the charges. Top world officials have opened the climate summit in Paris by saying investors and the entire global financial system need to shift faster toward energy and businesses that don't worsen climate change. The Prime Minister of the island of Fiji said, we're all in the same canoe, rich countries and poor. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Jonathan, Tom? Yeah, Michael, thanks so much. Curve flattening this morning, not down to new record flat, but nevertheless, a flatter yield curve. Fed day tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Surveillance is brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch, dedicated to bringing our clients insights and solutions to meet the challenges of a transforming world. That's the power of Global Connections, Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner and Smith Incorporated, member SIPC. To be direct, it was the interview of the day, given the huge tragedy we saw a number of months ago in Alexandria, Virginia. You remember the um, the shootings, the terror of uh, a baseball field uh, with a congressman struck down grievously and many others dead. Nobody gave us better coverage than Terry Haynes on that horrific uh, morning. He is with Evercore ISI, a citizen of Alexandria, Virginia, and someone uh, who, among other things, out of Oberlin, uh, provides political strategy to Ed Hyman and the team over at Evercore. 
ISI. He's in our studios, which is a good thing. It's wonderful to have you here. Wonderful to be here. Thank you very much. How do you get a turnout out? I mean, you are so steeped in the Washington game that if it's Alabama, and everybody knows it's about the turnout, real clear politics, as Mr. Moore, I believe, ahead by 2.2%. How do you get the turnout out? Is that guys like you in Washington who fly into a place to get the turnout out? Or is that locally derived? Uh, the the answer is it's a mix of both, actually. The what they uh, and and I, I saw a lot of this with the uh, Georgia Six special earlier in the year. Yeah, you get a yeah. lot of you get a lot of state party officials and uh, and and technology and the like to get people out, and then you have uh, a lot of money and expertise coming in from Washington as well as, as an overlay, and they hope that'll help as well. Let Let's just do the 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 bipolar outcome here. If Mister Moore wins, the Republican hugely contentious. Mm-hmm. What happens next for your Washington? Uh, in my Washington, uh, the the tax bill still goes forward. Uh, whoever wins this election won't be seated until the the twenty second of December at the earliest. Yeah. Uh, so, what the you know the that goes forward. Uh, the more more spending bill negotiations right. go forward. I expect there to be a continue uh, another short term bill to tide people into the new year. Uh, not much changes, and there is a decision by the Republican leadership in the Senate as to whether uh, they start investigating or yeah, doing you know, that, all that. that. What about Mr. Jones, the Democrat? If he, I, I guess it's an upset. I'll use that word. If he wins, it's a it's a huge deal for next year, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a huge deal. Anyway, either way, the uh, what you have is a situation where uh, in in. In a, in a short-term sense, Democrats can't lose because uh, either more wins, in which case they decry that, and uh, you put Republicans into a bit of a box. But if Jones wins, uh, then they think they've got more wind in their sails uh, for 18, and uh, and they think they've got the last chance to knock off some of this stuff. They get they, they think they have marginally more strength on spending bills. Uh, they probably don't think they have an opportunity to knock off the tax bill, but uh, they think it might make Republicans think twice. It's the Trump miracle versus the nullification project. The words of Steve <laughs> Bannon. The words of Steve Bannon yeah. on what is happening in Alabama. No, well, he's quotable. What's his What's his role? <laughs> what's his role here, Terry? Uh, in uh, other than uh, let's see, sort of aged provocateur uh, uh, slash uh, informal strategist. Although I think that that that's probably a little overblown. Uh, slash, you know, bringing some money into the campaign. Is he splitting the Republican Party? I don't think so. Uh, I don't. I really don't think so at all. I think. Uh, I think a lot of that's overblown, frankly. Why do you think that? Because a lot of people think that he could possibly do what Nigel Farage did in the United Kingdom, which is drive a wedge between the between the centre right party. In this case, drive a wedge in, in, into the Republican Party. Why can Steve Bannon not do what Nigel Farage did in the UK? Uh, well, and that, I think that's a smart question. The I think the answer to that is what you've got is you've got a few races, and I mean a few, the Alabama race, the Tennessee race, uh, yeah. couple, a couple of others, where uh, the Arizona race, uh, where there was a situation where the incumbent was already getting way out of step with the state party. Uh, Bannon is taking that, those races, and I think trying to project more into that. Right. Uh, but uh, as far as a fundamental uh, rift in the party, I don't see it. Okay, can I just say the tweet of the day already? It's this early in the morning. Joe Scarborough kills it over at MSNBC. What did he say? Hey, Bannon, you only went to Harvard because you couldn't get into Alabama. Roll damn tide. 
you know, this, this back and forth they've had the last 48 hours. That's just, you know, I just, that's the spirit of this, you know, John, that's the trenches debate. Yeah. And the cultural debate that we're seeing within this election. In this trenches debate, there is a serious discussion about the morals of the GOP at this point, given the accusations around more in Alabama, Terry. How does the president tread this really delicate line between the moral issues that are dominating this particular election and the idea that actually he's just got a really slim majority in the Senate to get anything done? Well, there's two, there, there's, there's two ways that gets addressed. One is that the Republicans in the Senate, should more win, have to, uh, have to engage and, uh, and investigate more on their own and figure out what they want to do. They've got an awful lot of, uh, of leeway to do that, uh, number one. Number two, uh, you know, Democrats have frankly helped here. This is not a Republican problem. This is a political problem. Uh, it's, a pol- it's a political ruling class <clears throat> problem. And, of course, it goes far beyond politics. Uh, so what will end up happening is is that uh, as the Democrats uh, uh, seek to make this a Republican problem, what will end up happening is that uh, Republicans will remind everybody that this is a problem, right. uh, you know, regardless of political affiliation. You're, you're acclaimed. Terry Haynes with us with Evercore ISI. Your, your acclaim is just a very calm Washington, the pragmatic. It's like we're pragmatic. This is the legislation. we got to get it through. What is the pragmatic view in this conference now on tax cuts, on SALT, on state and local taxes. What's the pragmatic discussion going on right now? The pragmatic discussion is really this, the, uh, that, that you have what I call the bones of the bill, uh, the 20% corporate tax rate, keeping it under the trillion and a half dollar deficit cap, uh, tweaking the individual rates, that sort of thing. Uh, every, you know, it, you gotta keep that Everything else is a pay for. Every other discussion about every other issue. What's a pay is, for mean? Pay for means uh, you got to pay for it. You got to you got to pay for it. And Do you see evidence of that? Because I don't see evidence of that as of 10 p.m. last night. Uh, that it's not being paid for. Yeah. Or? How are we going to pay? How are we going to pay for it to close a nut to 1.5 trillion? Well, both uh, both bills have pay fors that get you within that. Within, so it's a question mm-hmm. of whether it's it's really a question of which one you pick. From a from a fairly long laundry list, but nobody should be surprised to uh, to find that vast majority of the, uh, the ending the salt deduction stays yeah. in all that sort of stuff. Because my so. conversation with Trump administration officials is simple; they seem to be modestly aware of how unpopular this legislation is. How do how does your Washington respond to the polling of this tax cut bill? What they think is that. Six months, nine months from now, uh, when the rubber starts meeting the road with the midterms, uh, they get credit for revivifying the economy, and and the polls. What's your and frankly, opinion the polls of that? Start... What's your opinion of that opinion? Well, what we see economically, and uh, we wrote about this yesterday, <laughs> is that we see a you know, 30, 40 uh, bips increase, uh, so that you get uh, our median growth is two seven, two eight, something like that uh, for next year. That's a modest uptick, but it's uh, but it'll help. And 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 politically, you also get to take if you're Republicans, you also get to take credit for every good thing that's happened between now and when the the effects yeah. of the bill start uh, 
that start bringing coming Tom, up. we spent much of the last two years talking about the two Americas, and the headline GDP number might increase, but I wonder whether this really helps the second America. And whilst they might be able to go around next year saying that GDP's up, we promised you 3%, and GDP has a three-handle, I wonder what wage growth looks like in the Midwest and whether they've really moved the dial there, because that's going to be the real test of this administration. The promise to address the economic issues of the second America outside of the metropolitan elite of New York City, well, etc., to help them. Um, and I wonder whether this tax plan really does that. Terry Haynes, uh, thrilled that he's with us. Right now, Brian Reynolds, Canaccord Genuity, you know Tony Dwyer, uh, giving wisdom there. Brian has done terrific research on something very important, and that is share buyback dynamics. Brian, give us the uh, quick summary here of what you learned in your year-end study of share buybacks. Well, buybacks have been the main engine for this bull market since 2009, and they're continuing to grow, and they're actually accelerating a little bit. In fact, just yesterday, Boeing announced an $18 billion buyback. That comes on the heels of Home Depot's $15 billion buyback last week. It is stunning the disparity. You've got a chart, folks. It's too complicated even to discuss, but it's got like eight lines. And then there's buybacks. I mean, are you willing to say we're getting these big double-digit returns just because of buybacks? Yes. And while the chart you refer to is really complex, because it looks at every major participant in the stock market. I have another chart that's really simple towards the end of that column, which just compares buybacks to all investors combined. And what that shows is that investors have done very little point-to-point during this bull market. Brian, what does this say? What does this say about tax cuts, though, and what's going to happen with the money once they fall to the bottom line? Well... These buybacks are fueled by debt. The debt is fueled by our nation's public pensions, who have become the dominant global investor. Tax reform is going to do nothing in terms of changing the demand for debt. And so what it may do is that if it makes companies issue less debt, then there's two outcomes. One is that bond yields decline, or two, there's more shadow banking to fill that void. Either way, that results in more money for share buybacks going forward for the next few years. So the bull market rolls on. Is that basically the conclusion then, Brian? Yes. And there's a chance it may accelerate. So you expected a melt-up in 2018? Is that what you're looking for? The classic cycle top that's just a uh, a melt-up to infinity and then not quite beyond roll over aggressively? Well, the amount of money going into public pensions is increasing. So the melt-up may come after 2018, but don't forget this is just a credit cycle. Credit cycles always end, and they always end badly. Yeah. I don't think it's going to end for a while, but when it does end, we're likely going to have another financial disaster on our hands. But in the meantime, all this financial engineering results in higher stock prices. Brian, what's going to lead to a financial disaster, though? The banks, the CEOs would say, we're really well capitalized. In fact, what we'd like to see is less regulation, not more. Please stop. Are the banks really well capitalized? Can they handle any kind of big-time correction in the equity market? Because the stress test would say yes. Well, the banks are going to be fine because they don't own any of this stuff. 
In the last two cycles of the 1990s and in the subprime cycle, the banks owned a lot of it. Now we're having the most intense credit boom ever without the banks participating. That tells you the other participants, the public pensions and the insurance companies, are pushing the accelerator harder than ever. So the next financial crisis likely won't impact the banks the way the last one did, but it will impact other sectors on the downside. So let's explore this, Brian. What's the response of the government to a financial crisis that we're not anticipating next year, it might not happen next year, the year after that, but eventually? What does the response look like? Well, the crisis may not happen until further out than that, and the crisis response will be pretty much the same. The Fed will ease and it will not have any impact. Remember, the Fed eased all the way down from late 2007 through 2009. They eased from 2000 to 2003. In neither occasion did it stop the decline, because once you get a a snowball decline in credit, it continues until the price of credit goes below its liquidation value. In other words, Wilcom bonds going to 12 cents, GM and Chrysler bonds going to... 18 cents. Once you hit that point where a bankruptcy judge gives creditors more than the bonds are worth, that's what stops the crisis, not the Fed. Brian, great to catch up with you. Brian Reynolds on some really interesting research on his buybacks and where we might be in five to 10 years and who knows. Canaccord Genuity, asset class strategist. This is a joy and an important joy. They're rowers out of Harvard, which I thought has always been grossly unfair to their accomplishments at Greenwich Country Day in Brunswick and then on to Harvard where they actually took a, a real – I mean, can anybody – Tyler, can anybody take a light course at Harvard? Is there basket weaving at Harvard? There's actually a, a couple. Uh, Rocks for Jocks was uh, geology, yeah. course, but uh, yeah, most of them are pretty hard. Yeah. Would be economics. The Winklevoss uh, twins are with us right now, which uh, barely describes again their success with Bitcoin, which is the topic of the day. I could talk about all sorts of other uh, things, but uh, Cameron, let me start with with where you are right now with SIBO and CME. You've picked one of the exchanges, and what are you exactly going to do for them? So uh, the SIBO's Bitcoin futures contract, uh, XBT futures is a cash shuttle contract. So in order, they need to price that contract. And so Gemini will be providing the price. That Mm -hmm. contract will settle to Gemini's 4 p.m. daily auction. I'm going to cut right to the chase. You guys have had a huge success with this. You've got to be the greatest sale candidate in investment right now. Are people knocking on the door, major firms, saying we'd love to take over Gemini? So we're seeing both uh, interest, obviously, from the customer side. Um, We're seeing a lot of the largest market makers in the world um, start onboarding on our platform. Mm -hmm. And we're also seeing a lot of inbound investment interest. Um, So absolutely, yes. I mean, the the interest here is extraordinary. And to me, it it goes back to, you know, within your family and your father is one of the – my grandfather – uh, was an acclaimed actuary, blah, blah, blah. But you you're, you grew up in a math household with a terrific rigor with your father being one of the leading actuaries uh, in the nation. Give me the underlying mathematical architecture, Tyler, of the futures market to cash right now. Is it a normal futures market to cash? 
You know, I don't know. Uh, I'm not an expert on that type of uh, structure, mm-hmm. but the I can tell you that the futures have been off for 36 hours right now, the mm-hmm. first ever Bitcoin futures. And I remember other ones, they start out slow, just yeah. like this, completely normal. Actually, this started out faster than the VIX, which is um, a well-traded contract on mm-hmm. the SIBO as well. Um, so about $70, $80 million notional traded in the first Asia-US session. Um, but, you know, the emails we're getting from the huge prop trading firms in Chicago that are trading this or about to trade this was, you know, massive congratulations, double exclamation points, you know, huge success. So for, okay. for a launch, um, we, you know, the us at Gemini, um, the folks at the SIBO and also the, the other market participants, um, we're all like, you know, jumping and excited for this. To our global audience and across this nation, and particularly in Chicago and Sirius XM Channel 119, uh, Cameron and Tyra Winklevoss with us uh, right now of Gemini on this day, this second, third day almost, third day of trading on uh, a Bitcoin. Cameron, when I look at this market and I look at the doubt involved, you guys had a huge confidence of this. People made fun of you. Come on. The, the people were laughing. All These guys, you first come out they of laugh Facebook, at you. First they sure. laugh at you. When did you know it was for real? Don't give me this malarkey. You knew it was real right away. When did it click in that Bitcoin could be a tradable, a fungible product? Well, I think part of that was when we got our trust company license in New York. Um, Gemini is a New York trust company. So we have the same licensing structure that State Street and Bank of New York started with over 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we literally have one of the oldest banking licenses in the world married with one of the newest technologies in the world. So I think that was really a watershed moment where we could say, hey, we're now building regulated infrastructure mm-hmm. in this market with the same type of license structure that um, some of the largest financial <clears throat> institutions entrusted in the world have. Um, and then as like an operator of the business, you see the types of customers that are onboarded and you see the type of customers that we're dealing with on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis it definitely started out as more of a retail market or high net worth partners or right. you know people who right. got excited about the technology but couldn't necessarily sell it to their lps and that has completely changed the conversation is completely it, different just today. to be clear if you saw a a, a list of names of our client list and Ge- gemini is a is the world's most regulated exchange and custodian to buy and sell and store Bitcoin and Ether. In fact, Andrew Governor uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo gave the press release when we got the approval to um, to support Ether, which is another digital asset. But if you looked at the client list of companies, individuals who are um, on Gemini and trading, the biggest names in the head fund industry, the biggest uh, market makers, uh, high frequency traders, prop traders. Okay down to the everyday person. Okay, let's compare it to wheat as a tangible uh, product. Bitcoin is clearly an intangible product. It has a value. There's no question about that. Is your future, Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss, is your future linked to the volatility of Bitcoin? Uh, of Bitcoin? Is it linked to a price drop? I mean, do you care if the price goes from 16000 down to 11000 right now? You still make money, right? Well, so, as, an, as an issue, so uh, the answer is, um, our, we're tied to all of it. So we are long-term um, owners and holders of Bitcoin right. and Ether. Um, but with Gemini, um, we're tied to basically three lines of business, uh, exchange trading fees, uh, market data fees, right. 
and custodial fees. That tells me you don't care what the price does. Uh, Gemini doesn't. Gemini is agnostic, and, and the futures price will follow the spot price. And, and quite frankly, as you mentioned earlier, there are a lot of naysayers. Um, there's plenty of people going on and saying, oh, Bitcoin's a bubble, this or that. And hey, we've been working really hard to make this futures contract, um, to bring it live so that those people can okay. put their money where their mouth is. Have you talked to sure. ICE just as one example of, of one major, major international player in exchanges and in volume and transactions? Have you talked to ICE just as one example? No, I'm I'm referring more towards the investors and or people who are saying, oh, Bitcoin, you know, we don't agree or think there's long term value. Or like Jamie value Diamond. There. Um, so we, you know, the futures contract, the great thing about it is you can now actually short Bitcoin. And so that will increase price discovery mm-hmm. and long term probably reduce volatility right. because it has not been a two sided market. What would you say, Tyler, to Jamie Dimon? Is he looks at J.P. Morgan, who have they have a, they have a bank responsibility to study this market, to study this speculation and hedging. What would you say to Mr. Diamond this morning? Well, first I'd say um, talk is cheap. You should put your money where your mouth is. Well, he is. He's got some people at J.P. Morgan looking at this, right? Well, he thinks that he personally thinks that um, you know Bitcoin's a fraud. He would fire anybody in his firm that traded it. Um, so if he thinks it's a fraud, he should go on the SIBO and, and short Bitcoin uh, contracts um, because that's what I would do, right? If I if I thought a company was inflated or cooking their mm-hmm. books or something, I wouldn't just go on and throw ad hominems at it. I would okay. actually go short it. And so now we've given him the opportunity to do it. I agree that um, you know his bank should look at it, and I imagine they are. Okay, but, but Cameron, you, did you take X10 with Martin Feldstein? I did. What was it like sitting in Act 10 with Martin Feldstein? You're 17, 18 years old. You're dumb as what? I mean, you have your acclaim in high school and all that. How dumb did you feel in Act 10? There's definitely points. <laughs> Martin Feldstein was on the show the other day. He's a little bit skeptical about uh, Bitcoin. What would you say to your professor freshman year at Harvard about the value, the economic intrinsic value of this currency wannabe? Yeah, it's a great question. I actually did talk to, uh, so we went, we did an MBA at Oxford and I did mm-hmm. talk to, sent some emails to uh, two of my professors years ago. And I should actually probably dig those up at this point and kind of see what I We'll was. give some names. We like some dirt. Man, um, you or, you know, I'd have to, I'd have, I'd have to. You dig. didn't go, did, did you go to, is Rogoff on your board? Uh, no. No, that would um, be very interesting with The Curse of Cash, which was my book yeah. of the year last year. But So, so I think what, what, what most probably, uh, you know, Mr. Feld, Professor Feldstein or, or academics in the space would, would look at Bitcoin and say, where's the intrinsic value? Mm-hmm. And most people say, well, gold has intrinsic value because, you know, jewelry or this, it's shiny and this, and it's a store of value. And, and that is true to some extent. Um, maybe 10 to 15% of gold's value could be attributed to industrial purposes or, or jewelry and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but in reality, uh, gold is simply a network. We all agree that it has value, um, and it's been around for thousands of years. But if you look at the properties of gold that make gold gold, right. scarcity, fungibility, divisibility, portability, Bitcoin equals or surpasses it in each category. For example, Gold is scarce. Bitcoin's actually fixed. In terms of portability, right. Bitcoin is like, you can send Bitcoin like you can send an email. It's pretty hard to, to, to send a bar of gold. And and it, going back to sort of the larger intrinsic value thing, gold has zero intrinsic value to Robinson Crusoe when he's shipwrecked on an island. He'd much prefer to have a bottle of water or a sandwich. So I think the intrinsic value arguments right. of gold are way overstated 
Um, and if you talk to any millennial or younger person, they don't want hardware. They want software. They do not want to deal with So you're with saying drugs. this is a generational thing. It, it's definitely, okay. that's definitely part of it. Tyler, your worst nightmare has got to be the government's. China looked at the hysteria, said enough. Japan, huge. South Korea, huge. Can government be your friend or enemy as you build out Gemini? Oh, we, we, I mean, we definitely think it's our friend um, in terms of, the, you know, the, if, if we went out to build a, a bank that had nothing to do with Bitcoin, we would never expect not to become licensed and have yeah. any money laundering and KYC type regulations. Um, we're actually in, we are a New York trust company regulated by, by the New York um, State Department of Financial Services. And it took us about two years to get yeah. that license. And that license allows us to get banking partners that allows us to attract hedge well, funds and actually allows us to do this um, business relationship with the SIBO. So we think government thoughtful regulation is completely the path forward, and okay. that's what we've done with Gemini. Got to leave it there. Cameron, Tyler, Winklevoss, congratulations. Uh, a lot of people doubted you. Been very, very interesting to say uh, the least. On Bitcoin, uh, the Winklevosses. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.